Welcome to Sportsman of Colorado, Colorado's premier outdoor radio show heard every Saturday afternoon on KLZ 560 with insights on hunting, fishing, archery, guns, and ammo from Colorado's top outfitters featuring the industry's leading experts on how to enhance your experience in the great outdoors. Now, here's your host, Scott Watley. Good afternoon and welcome to Sportsman of Colorado. Thank you so much for being with us. Glad to have Kevin Flesh in studio as well. Kevin, good to see you. Good to see you. A little, get- little smoky still out there. A little, smoky, <laughs> little, little campfire-ish, but yeah. uh, we're getting there. We're, at least it's not very much smoke from here. <laughs> exactly. From other states. <laughs> exactly. Well, we've got, right a, direction. we've got a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to talk a little fishing. We're going to talk a little legal things with Kevin. We're going to talk about some clay shooting that's going on from Freedom Hunters. And then Chris Rowe from Rowe Hunting Resources is going to join us, talk a little elk hunting. But Austin Parr, our good friend. And Austin, you know, first of all, how are you, sir? Doing excellent, Scott. How are you guys? I'm good. You know, I was looking back through some emails the other day and saw some back to you in early 2013 when we started this. And, wow. (laughs) It's Austin was, were you believe. in middle school then? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, man, it has been, a, man, you've been a good friend to our show and we just want to tell you, thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on once again. Absolutely. So what's happened in the fishing world? All kinds of things right now. And, and certainly a lot of people's thought process is thinking about hunting, whether it be big game or small game, ducks or doves, all kinds of different stuff. But this time of year also provides some of the absolute best fishing of the entire season, both for warm water species and cold water species. And we're really starting to see that fall bite get going after that big front that we had right. now a week or so ago. But uh, places like Chapville and Cherry Creek are really starting to turn on. That's awesome. So the, the walleyes are moving uh, off structure a little bit, or what are they doing? Uh, what are you, you seeing know, on Cherry Creek and Chapville? Yeah, still finding some fish on structure. So yep. finally, we're starting to see some more bait fish than we have seen in the past at Chapfield. Um, and but there's still not a crazy amount like you find at Cherry Creek. So there's still a lot of walleyes that are associated with structure points generally. So I'm finding them on the edges of gravel pits, still on the roadbed. Some um, they're still in somewhat shallower structure with the water temperature still above 60 degrees. So we're throwing jigging wraps and blade baits on on structure like that. And, Adjusting my color some, if I'm finding a lot of shad in a certain area, I will imitate that bait fish a little bit more with more of a silvery-type chrome color. But yeah. if I'm not finding bait fish and finding fish still, I'm adjusting and, and throwing more perch-based colors and having better success on, on the perch jigging wraps and the perch blade baits. So let's talk a little bit about the, how exactly you're fishing these fish because I've, I've been watching some things lately about guys doing this sort of sharp shooting where they're going almost vertical getting yep. and finding fish with their electronics and then vertically jigging them. Are you doing that, or are you throwing more sort of horizontal and, and fishing those structure to find the fish? Definitely a mixture. So there are times if I'm finding a good pot of fish and I'm on top of them that, that vertical jigging can be very effective. But there's also times that a little bit, if I'm finding them in 8 or 10 feet of water, they can be a little bit boat shy. Yeah. So I'll position off of them and cast to them. And in general, unless you're on a really aggressively large group of fish, casting many times, as long as you know what you're doing with the, the specific structure point that you're on, is going to be more effective due to the fact that it, you're going to cover more ground. And in general, this time of year, the fish are going to be spread out slightly more than you'd be finding in a May or June time frame. So you'll find them along an edge rather than specifically tight all on one specific spot. So casting and bringing your lures across that, especially with the jigging wrap where you can cover a lot of ground, is very effective. Sure. 
Absolutely. Are you finding any particular color depending upon the day, or is it is it just the manner in, in which you're using that uh, jigging wrap that's making a difference? Yeah, I mean, it just depends upon the day, really. I mean, there's some days that the perch has been better. There's been some days that the white and silvers have been good. But in, in general, it's been more perch patterns at Chatfield and then shifting over to Cherry Creek, a little bit more whites over there, um, and then some chrome colors as well. But the difference that you're finding at Cherry Creek is that with the incredible amount of bait fish out there, rather than just a little bit at, at Chatfield, you're looking more for a specific area rather than a specific grouping of fish due to the fact that they're so spread out. So in the early mornings, we're finding them shallow in that even four to eight foot range. Wow. Uh, and that area is very challenging to, to, to map with sonar and, and look for them. So you really just have to kind of just cast and, and, and use your your lures as, as your fish finder, sure. really. And then as you get later in the day, those fish are peeling out of that shallow area, and we're doing having better success trolling across the main basin. So okay. it's definitely uh, it's not producing nearly as productive of a casting bite as you're finding at Chatfield. So with regard to the trolling, are you um, are you trying to mark sort of where those schools of fish are once you catch them to go back and, and try to jig them at that point, or are you just finding that they're just kind of roaming around? It's a big roaming deal, and I mean, the thing that's so funny about Chatfield is you're looking for fish, and at Cherry Creek, it's hard to not, I mean, but by fish, I mean shad, Um, and at at Cherry Creek, you're really having, you're hard-pressed to not have them on your screen really at all times, so it's, you're not able to pinpoint a specific area where they're chasing bait because the bait is just literally everywhere. Everywhere. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and it makes for a challenging bite. And, and, uh, but the thing about it is that at this time of year, and especially if we can get another nice sharp cold snap here before boating closes, which I certainly hope we can get, that will certainly spur the, the big fish bite out there. We're starting to see a few more big fish at, at, uh, at Chatfield, Cherry Creek. Uh, we have seen a couple, but there's potential if we can get one more solid cold snap where you can get out there and, and in, in a couple of days, like I've seen, you can catch four or five fish over 30 inches. Sure. Yeah, they're there. It's just uh, you they gotta, are there. Got to figure out how to get their mouths open. We got to get back out Definitely. there, Kevin. I know with Austin uh, when I, when I don't have Rocky Mountain spotted fever. <laughs> <That's exactly laughs> right. would be, that would be a good deal. Yeah, so so Austin, I was in the shop the other day, and I was amazed by the amount of inventory that you guys have. And uh, and let's talk. Can you talk a little bit, just maybe behind the scenes, how you guys are able to get the inventory? Because it seems like all the other your competitors don't and that's that's great to see for you guys it's really been a strange thing this year big box stores in particular have run into a situation where they were allowed to be they were allowed to stay open and sold through a bunch of stuff and and we've gotten to a point right now where there's various large companies like rapala and berkeley that are even still to this day 10 plus weeks out on shipping yeah and it has created a situation where there's shortages everywhere you look in the industry just because of shipping issues and sourcing issues so i've really gone through and typically we order direct everywhere possible but i've adjusted my tactics into looking at a lot of more of the distributors and then taking a hit on margin on my end to make sure my prices are still very competitive but it has allowed me to use all my resources to still have product in the store and it is uh definitely pay dividends down here but if people are, are looking for stuff even basic things like weights and rod yeah. combos and line yeah i have all that you and do then to go on top of all that i have all the specialty stuff as well 
Yeah, that, that I was in uh, going back to Wisconsin in a couple of weeks, so I was picking up basic stuff for doing some deep water smallmouth fishing, and, and I just needed exactly that. I needed some octopus hooks. I needed some weights. I needed some yep. new line for I was going to troll for some muskies, so I was doing some of that. And you guys had it, and uh, and it was so nice because, of course, you've got all the other stuff too, lots of I mean, yeah. I was up in the mountains this weekend, or this last weekend, did a float down the Colorado, so picked up some flies, and you guys had all the flies that we, you need and, and all the different things that are there. And it's just nice to have one shop that you can go to that you can rely on having the stuff because you, everywhere else, they, they don't. They just don't. Yeah, and, I mean, it's been to the point where some of these big box stores look like the toilet paper I held did back yeah. in March in the fishing department. And, exactly. And not only fishing, but ammunition as well. And, and uh, we're not carrying ammunition like that. But uh, certainly if it's fishing-related, we can be of assistance. Are you still carrying a bunch of live bait right now as well, if guys want to get out and use live bait? We are. So this time of year, though, you can't get leeches anymore up in Wisconsin and Minnesota where they naturally, they, they net wild leeches up there. They all go into the mud when it starts getting a little bit colder, so the, yeah. the leech trappers can't get a hold of them. But we still are carrying all the night crawlers. We have mealworms and then large shiners, medium shiners, and minnows on the regular as well. And we'll be doing all of that uh, all the way through ice fishing and into next spring okay. as well. So hopefully we'll have a nice strong ice fishing season and and a lot of folks will have some good success in the metro area with some of that live bait option nice it's discount fishing tackle 2645 south santa fe drive and get by and let them know you heard about them here on sportsman of colorado and austin if some folks maybe want to get out with you for a trip a day trip you got some um opening days coming up scott and i are getting our calendars out so let us know yeah we're (laughs) we're we're just having i just have a few opening dates uh, left and then uh, with me being on Lund's pro staff, I'm going to be selling my boat at the first part of November. So I'm just going to be guiding through October this year. But I still do have a few dates for hopefully some big walleye trips yeah. coming right. up here over the next few weeks. Uh, me and Kevin will get with you too. But if Absolutely. you if you want to go with Austin, give him a call at 303-514-5546. That's 303-514-5546. When you call, be sure to mention sports from Colorado and Austin. I know you're busy there on a Saturday. So man, we appreciate your time. And seriously, Kevin and I are going to get with you and. Uh, get out, and you guys show me a little bit more about fishing. There you go. <laughs> Would love to do that. Let's certainly do that coming up here. All right, bud. Thanks, Thanks so Austin. much. Awesome. Thank right. you, guys. You guys have a great day. Uh, that is Austin Parr. And, and Kevin, I mean, we've known Austin a long time. Yeah. Sharp guy. Oh, and he's and fishy, too. knows he how does. to fish. Absolutely does. And, you've, I mean, you've, you see him on different shows. He's He's been on uh, Fishful Thinker a lot uh, over the years, and uh, – and you can just tell the guy knows how to fish, and, and he's always on top of what's going on. And, you know, when, when folks are guiding like that on a regular basis, they get to know the fishery pretty well, both Chatfield and Cherry Creek. He's got those uh, dialed in. And then just common knowledge over over the years, sure. and then you just play around with things. And he's a really creative guy when it comes to that sort of stuff, too. So he's all always getting you on fish. Absolutely. Super yeah, fun. We were looking so forward to that time a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'd gone to Montana on a turkey hunt, yep. came back. Uh, transported a, a tick from, <laughs> and seriously, we went out with Austin, and my reference to Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, we went out with Austin, and man, the first hour or so was great, and all of a sudden, something hit me hard, man, I had to lay down, Kevin, of course, Kevin had sympathy, we'll oh, keep fishing, Scott's yeah. fine, just lay down up front. <laughs> You'll be fine, <laughs> yeah. it's a big deck up there. I go to the doctor <laughs> next day, had Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, son, I was <laughs> sick, Wow. But, uh, no, it'd be great to get back out with Austin. And, again, great, great guy, and I promise you, 
you will have a great time. And Austin's number again, 303-514-5546. Charlie, we're going to skip this break here because I want to get into uh, Kevin's topic. And a little bit unusual topic for our show. We usually talk about legal things with Kevin as far as hunting. And if you get into a hunting situation, a violation, to talk to Kevin. But there was something on social media uh, last week on I Hunt Colorado, which is a great Facebook page. And there was so much misinformation about this, Kevin, and uh, I thought we needed to talk about it a little bit and just clear it up. But basically, it was the question was this. If you have been charged with domestic violence, can you still hunt with anything, whether it be a bow, muzzleloader, or a rifle? Right. So the, the bottom, the first thing is there's two different uh, convictions, criminal convictions that really cause problems with possessing a weapon in Colorado. And a firearm is certainly defined in a particular way within, the, within Colorado under 181901, subparagraph sub 3, subparagraph H. <laughs> um, but essentially, all of the things that you think of as a gun, so anything that creates a projectile or has a projectile in it and fires it, is going to be considered a gun, most likely, in Colorado. Um, I have a case right now where a guy is a convicted felon. He went and bought a uh, muzzleloader kit and, um, and built it, and he was able to, there was no background check on it, and he's been able to, to build it and put it together. He really uses it just as a uh, means to sort of scare someone away if he needs to. He's never actually fired it. Um, he got he got pulled over. He had it in his car, and he's now being charged with um, possession of a weapon by a prior offender. And so the question that we have in this particular case is whether or not that is a gun or a weapon under the statute. He's certainly a felon, so he can't have your normal mm -hmm. weapons. He can't have uh, any sort of semi-automatic -auto weapon. Any any type of gun um, is off limits. The question is, is this one of those things? Because it didn't have a ball in it, didn't have black powder in it, didn't, it, it wasn't capable of shooting anything. Um, so that's going to be interesting. But the question is, you, so that's felons. Um, you can get a hunting license in Colorado as a felon. They don't do a background check. The problem is, is you can't possess the weapons that actually <laughs> yeah. make you. It's going to be a real hunt. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's your hands only <laughs> because even. There's a real question as to whether or not knives or anything else that you could bludgeon a, an animal with because you could create serious bodily injury or death to a human. That probably would cause you not to be able to, to use it um, in any way. So you're really talking about hand-to-hand -hand combat, sure. and that, of course, is, is not easy. Um, so you can certainly buy. I mean, I suppose there may be, uh, there may be reasons for you to do that. If you, if you don't like to fish but you like to hike, and you want to get into some of these areas that you now have to buy, you know, you, mm -hmm. a, a license so that you get the search and rescue uh, insurance, and and you're just helping out. But from the standpoint of being able to use a bow and arrow or a crossbow or a gun to deer hunt or elk hunt or whatever, it's just not something legally you can do, and you're you're taking a real risk. Now you can get the license. But if you're out in the field and, a, and an officer comes up to you and, and questions whether or not you have any sort of prior felony conviction, you've got a problem. Wow. Yep. So that's that's the <clears throat> bottom line with with the felons. Now, domestic violence is interesting because you can get a domestic violence charge, and what it is, domestic violence in Colorado is is basically a sentence enhancer to another charge, a real criminal charge. So it may be a harassment charge or criminal mischief 
or you've taken, uh, you know, your significant other's something or broken it or assault, battery, those sorts of charges. Because normally, the minute you hear domestic violence, you think of someone hitting someone. Correct. And it isn't. And always. it's no. It's, I mean, that's one tenth of it, right? It's, yeah, it's probably half. I mean, there could be a lot of different scenarios. There's a lot of municipalities that have a, a harassment um, charge that's basically loud voices or or doing something to cause emotional distress for the other person where you haven't laid a hand on them. But it's domestic violence because of the relationship of the two people involved. And they have to prove that at a trial. They would have to prove that relationship. So I've had a number of trials where uh, the individuals seem to have some sort of romantic relationship because that's sort of the critical piece for it. Um, but where the prosecution has to prove that relationship falls within the definition of a domestic relationship because of it. And I'll give you an example. You're married to Victoria and you've been divorced for 20 years. You guys see each other on the street. You still have some animus between the two of you and you get into this big fight. Even though you haven't seen each other for 20 years, it's very possible that they could charge you with the domestic violence charge because of your relationship 20 years ago. So, um, so, but there is a, there is a somewhat of a silver lining with this as well, is that a lot of the domestic violence charges are charged in municipal court. And so in municipal court, you're able to, even if you take a plea and are put on probation for a period of time, once that case is resolved and you're done with your sentence, if you wait three years, uh, pursuant to the sealing statute, you now can seal that record as if it didn't happen. And so if you have a municipal charge in Colorado, and you th maybe 25 years ago, mm -hmm. and it was a conviction for domestic violence, and you've been saying to yourself, I can't uh, hunt, I can't possess a gun, I can't do any of the things that I want to do because of this old conviction, we now have some tools at our disposal to maybe seal that record. And if once it's sealed, then you're able to possess a gun and, and the other things necessary for hunting. Um, and so there is some light at the end of the tunnel relating to those things. If you're in the county court um, or the state court, basically, for misdemeanor domestic violence charges, it's much more difficult because we can't seal those at this point, right. no matter what. Yep. Have you heard much on the red flag bill? You've, have you heard many? Uh, I have a, I have a case I haven't but I have a case right now that I'm working on in Douglas County in which the mother of the individual who had the red flag um, protection order brought against him they took her guns as well and um, we're now trying to get those guns back and saying to the county listen you didn't have any right to take the guns as well they took ammunition and magazines which neither one are underneath the statute and so we're having this sort of back and forth regarding to it I think we're gonna resolve it um, with them conceding that they have to provide the items back as long as my client agrees that she won't allow them to be in the possession of her son but we've got to wait and see how that all turns out. So I haven't heard of a lot of litigation relating to it, but in this particular case, it was a significant mental health issue. Somehow they knew that there were guns in the household, and so they went out and got the, the permanent uh, restraining order and then took my client's guns and never put her on notice about it. So what's interesting in the conversations that I'm having with the county attorneys is I'm saying, how are you able to prove whose guns these are that you took Mm -hmm. um, because it's it's really a taking without due process for my client. And so I think we've got another week or so to figure it out. And if we can't, then we're going to be filing an action 
to, to make them prove that. Not only under the Replevin statute, so saying to the county, you don't have the legal right to have them because my client isn't under that red flag, but also constitutionally, you took these without due process, so you've got to give them back as well. Right. So, And I think there's some of that litigation going on, but I, everything that I've seen, they haven't used the law to a great extent. Some counties have been more sort of aggressive with it than others, and the ones that have been more aggressive with it, I haven't heard a whole lot in the way of response. Um, because I think half the time there are situations that, that it was deemed really necessary. The other times the, the courts have been pretty good about making sure that there is a, a real due process there to make sure that they're doing the right thing. Okay. Once again, it's Fleshenbeck Law, 303-806-8886. And Kevin also handles wildlife violations. So if you find yourself in that predicament, Kevin, there's no worse feeling in the world than, you know, Let's just take an example of, you know, um, you got a buck tag, you shoot a doe or, you know, yep. you just whatever. make a make, you make a mistake, you just make a mistake. And then everybody panics and wonders, what do I do? Right. So there's, I think there's really two types of violations that people need to be concerned about. The first ones, remember under the, the CPW regulations, you get 20 points, 21 points or more, you're going to lose your privileges to hunt and fish for a period of time and have to go through an administrative hearing. So, and I know not everybody knows what those different <laughs> wildlife <laughs> violations are, but the, the example that you give is if you make just a critical error in judgment relating to, let's say, the sex of an animal or you shoot by accident two animals in a herd or something like that, you know, what happens is the cover-up generally, if you think you're going to get away with something, is worse than the crime itself. So to begin with, in those situations, the best thing most likely to do is be honest and self-report and then figure out what you have to do. Because mm -hmm. my experience has been that with CPW, that if you do that and you have no prior violations, they'll work with you on it. And you'll still you'll have a fine, you'll have points on your license, but you'll be able to get through it. It won't be catastrophic. The cases that I see that become real problems is where people either lie about what happened or cover up what happened, or they're just really significant violations. And in those situations where you know you have a significant violation that's going to cause you to lose um, potentially your, your hunting and fishing privileges, but also assets and large fines and all of those sorts of things, then you have a decision to make as to how far you go. Because again, this comes back to the criminal prosecution and how much evidence do you provide to CPW at that point? Again, I'm not suggesting that you do anything to circumvent what's happened. Right. You probably need to be honest and, and do the same thing in self-report. At the same time, um, if, you're, if, if a CPW officer comes up to you and starts talking to you about things and wants to get information from you, you, you have to understand that the Constitution, Constitution still applies in those situations, and you can remain silent. Mm -hmm. And I always advise people to do that. I mean, basically... Tell them who you are, yep. if they ask for your license, exactly. different things like that. But yep. as far as going into the story of what happened, yes. you really don't have to say anything at that point. That's correct. That's exactly correct. And um, and let them figure out what may have happened through their investigation. And sometimes I've got a case right now that I'm litigating where my client's been charged um, with driving a four-wheeler in a federal area that four-wheelers weren't allowed. And um, we don't think that they can actually prove that he was the one. There, there was a four-wheeler in the area, but he wasn't driving it. And we don't think they can prove who was driving it. And so it's one of those things where without somebody IDing him, 
um, it's going to be very difficult for them to prove that. And that's a 15-point violation. That's a big violation. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so um, he had a couple of other violations as well. So we're trying to minimize the amount of the points and working with the district attorney to see if we can get it uh, knocked down. And it's one of those things where we're litigating it probably up to pretty close to trial to see what's the best deal that we can get because he did do some things wrong, unfortunately, and, and he's going to have to take some some punishment with re regards to what happened. But those are the sorts of things that we look at and we're really, we really scrutinize, just like all other criminal cases, really scrutinize what exactly um, we have for, for evidence and what they can prove so that we can get the client out of the situation as best they can. Because the other thing that's really important for people to recognize is these things, we all have made mistakes out in the field. Sure. I mean, it always, it, it happens. If you do it long enough, there's something that'll come up. It's really, again, sort of the character of who you are as to how you deal with it and how you learn from it. Because that's what CPW wants to also see. And district attorneys, the same thing. They want to see how exactly you respond to those situations. Because it normally is a better outcome when you respond in a positive way. All right. And we could do a whole with the rest of the show on this, but I just want to touch on this because you had a case a couple of years ago. When we hire an outfitter, yeah. we tend to trust that outfitter that they are taking us to land, that they have permission to hunt on, and that your tag is good for that area. And you right. know what? That is up to you as a hunter to make sure you're hunting in the unit that you have a tag yes, for. Yes, right? that's exactly right. And you have to know where you where you are at all times as a hunter right. and whether or not you're on public or private land and making sure you have all the permissions that you need. And, yeah, so the good thing about Colorado, it's interesting, not every state is like this, but the great thing about Colorado is through DORA you can go and look at uh, the outfitter that you have mm -hmm. and make sure that they're licensed and bonded and everything else. And if you can't find them on that DORA site, there's there's a real good reason you need to talk with them about sure. it. Because in the end, if that outfitter does something illegal and you're the hunter that they're with, or they suggest that you do something that you didn't know was illegal but is at the time, and they say it's okay, it's you as a hunter that has the responsibility of knowing the laws. So if you if you break the law because you're taking the advice of that outfitter, you're going to be with them sitting in a criminal court. Sure. Um, and, and I've had cases in those situations where that's that, that certainly is a defense, but much like the rest of the law, ignorance of the law is generally not a good defense, yeah. uh, especially where, where we're talking about big game and, and, um, and the great opportunities that we have here in Colorado. Um, and, and you've just got to know what you're doing whenever you're out in the field, no matter whether you're guided or not. Yeah. Hey, you know, just real quick for a break, and then I've got a guest, Anthony Pace, coming up, going to tell us about Freedom Hunters and a, a great clay shoot they've got coming up after our break. But I was just in, doing a bear hunting meeker. Yeah. Good friends, uh, Quentin Smith and all, and QRS, and uh, actually a gentleman wanted to let his son shoot his elk. Yeah. With his tag. Yeah, no party hunting course, in Colorado. Yeah, of course, no. See, the guy just couldn't understand. Right. Why. I mean, it's only us out there. I know. You know, <laughs> because you just don't know. I mean, I've had cases where uh, that sort of situation where there's hunters uh, in a group that are plants from other Division of Wildlife organizations because they're concerned about a guide or something else doing something illegal, and they'll have that you just don't know, and you want to follow the law at any, all the time, yep. uh, especially in that situation. I mean, coming from Wisconsin, we could party hunt there. You could do drives and you know, we we knew what we had for tags, and if you had a doe or a buck, small buck or whatever, that you'd shoot it going through the drive and somebody tag it at the end. That's completely legal there. Okay. It's not legal here. I need to go there and hunt. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> oh, it's a cool. fun. It's 
you know, especially back when when the deer were so prevalent because they had daily bag bag sure. limits. I mean, we could shoot a deer a day or two right. deer a day. Wow, it was crazy. That's I mean, when wild. you think about the amount of deer that were there in the mid early 90s uh, but it's not like that now because of chronic wasting and everything else all right again it's flesh and back law 303-806-8886 always tell you put that number in your phone we hope you never need it but if you do hey it's great to have kevin right there at your fingertips so to speak so he can advise you and uh before you speak to anyone or say too much all that stuff so Remember that deal, you have the right to remain silent, right, Kevin? Exactly. <laughs> Use it. Use it. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I tell you what, let's go ahead and go to Anthony Pace, and then Chris Rowe is coming up right after our break real quick. Anthony, how are you, sir? How are you doing, Scott? Hey, we're doing great. I got Kevin Flesh in studio as well. So tell us real quick about Freedom Hunters and this clay shoot you got coming up. Sure, yeah. Freedom Hunters is a uh, 501c3. Uh, we're a military outreach program. Uh, so we take servicemen and their families on outdoor adventures, and it's mainly hunting, shooting, fishing trips, uh, kind of all across the country and internationally even. Okay. So are the, are the uh, veterans disabled or able-bodied veterans? It won't make any difference? It, it, yeah, it does not make any difference. Oh, good. We take, you know, everyone from active to, um, you know, any conflict. Nice. So we've had, you know, guys who are, you know, freshly into, um, you know, World War II veterans. All right. Now, this is going to be out at uh, Silver Creek Sporting Club, right? It is, yes. Yeah, we're having a, a Sporting Clays event out there September 26th, uh, next Saturday. And, um, you know, registration at the event starts at um, 8 o'clock. And uh, we'd prefer people to sign up online. We've got uh, on our website, we've got a link to uh, the Give Smart uh, account that uh, you go on there and register. And so just go to freedom, freedomhunters.org? Freedomhunters.org, correct. Okay. And uh, if you can't attend, we've got some great auction items, you know, everything from uh, Benelli and Fox Pro, um, Henry Rifle, um, Bighorn Armory. So we've got some really cool stuff on there. Okay, good deal. And so, uh, and I noticed you had some sponsorships available. So if there's any corporate companies out there or just some folks that might want to uh, get a little bit known about their company, they can, and you got all kinds of ranges on prices too for that. We sure do. Yeah, everything from $65 to sponsor a warrior to shoot in, at the event, you know, on up to, you know, $5,000 for um, Medal of Honor uh, sponsorship package. Okay, great. So once again, this is Freedom Hunters. This will be a clay shoot out at Silver Creek Sporting Club on the 26th. Register uh, at 8 a.m. It will start at 9. You can go to freedomhunters.org uh, for more information. If you want to sponsor them and all, and uh, I haven't checked my schedule, maybe we can get out there and shoot with you a little bit. Oh, it sure be nice to have you. Yeah, that'd be great, bud. Well, listen, um, hey, we're up against the clock, a hard break here, but... Um, we will uh, continue to talk about this, and I'll even kind of talk about this during my weekday show as well, and uh, here Monday and Tuesday, and try to get some more folks to sign up with you. Oh, that'd be great. And um, we do have, if you want to email uh, info at freedomhunters.org, I do have a few spots available that are already sponsored for Warriors. Okay. So if, if, if you've served and, and you want to come shoot for free, um, we'd be happy to, to honor you that day. Well, that's a great thing, and, man, we appreciate you do for all of those that have served. We appreciate that very much. 
Oh, sounds great. I All appreciate right. it, Scott. Okay, Anthony, thank you so much. Again, freedomhunters.org. All right, we're going to take a short break, Chris. Hang on one second, bud, and uh, we're going to come back with our good friend, Chris Rowe, Rowe Hunting Resources, right after this. Hi, everybody, Jack Corgan. There's no better time than now to visit my friends at Len Lyle Chevrolet. They're open, following all proper safety precautions, and ready to offer terrific deals. Suburbans for over 10000 less, better than 7000 off a brand-new Equinox. And Len Lyle Chevy has 0% financing on almost every model. Plus, they need trade-ins badly, so they're willing to pay over book value. Len Lyle Chevrolet, it's time for you to go east and pay the least. And did I mention they need your trade-ins? This is Scott Watley for my friends at Phoenix Weaponry. Phoenix Weaponry is proud to announce their new 10,000 square foot facility is now open in Berthard, Colorado, located at 504 North 2nd Street. With this expansion, Phoenix Weaponry offers a new retail area and expanded gunsmithing in Duracoat and Cerakote areas. Family owned and operated, Phoenix Weaponry offers the finest in competition, hunting, and long range precision firearms. Also, suppressors from 22 long rifle to 50 caliber for rifles, pistols, and shotguns. Phoenix Weaponry also offers gunsmithing services and restoration repairs from antique to modern firearms. Building your firearm dreams into reality. That's Phoenix Weaponry. Call them now, 720-340-2496, or visit them at phoenixweaponry.com. Rush to Reason with John Rush, weekdays from 3 to 7 on KLZ 560. Welcome back to Sportsman of Colorado. If you're just getting in the car, turn on the radio. My name is Scott Watley along with Kevin Flesh today. We're going to go to phones now and talk to our good friend, Chris Rowe, Rowe Hunting Resources. Chris, how are you, bud? I'm doing good. I I jumped in about when uh, Kevin said you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just laughed because I just it just reminds me of Ron White. He said I had the right to remain silent, but I did not have the ability. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is very true, man. And you know, Chris, a lot of people are like that. They they know that they have that right, but they never actually take advantage of it. Correct. I mean. And, <laughs> Correct, sir. Correct. Yeah. Oh, man. It makes my my life really difficult. Yeah, I I tell my wife that the problem with me is I have truthful Tourette's. So so the opposite, opposite, I can't be a criminal because the officer is just going to know. He's just going to just. Just keep talking, Chris. At some point. <laughs> well, and and quite frankly, Chris, you know, I think we're all like that in the field to some degree. And, and as much as uh, we think it's it's different, it's not, you have those rights. But no. sometimes, sometimes the best course is to own up and to say, you know, to be, to square yeah. up to it and say, yeah, this is what happened. You know, it was... It was just a dumb thing to do, or I made a mistake, or whatever. And you know what? Half the time, that works. You know, and and it's in in the hunting world, it is a little bit different with wild wildlife officers for some reason. Yeah, and but but you make a very very good point though. Is you know you said half. Yeah. Half the time, you know, and the you thing just got to figure out which half you're in. <laughs> Correct, and and even if even if you are right, the problem you don't know. You don't know any of the situation that's going on in the other in anybody else's world, so it's yeah. good to rely on someone like you, or you know, that is not emotionally involved in a situation, 
right. that has experience on, you know, all the, the, the BS that goes on with, it, you know, questioning and everything, just, just have someone like you on our team and just yeah. say, hey, you know what, I, I want to cooperate, but man, I don't know what the heck's going on here, so I just want to wait until we can have my attorney here. Yeah. And then we'll get to the bottom of it, and, and I'll, I'll work with you, right. but I just need to have my attorney here. You know, and, and thinking about that, just sitting here in the studio, you know, I can't remember the case where I had uh, a trouble with the defense where my client said too little. Correct. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that that they, they weren't talking enough, because I can. We can always clean it up. And you know what? I have, I have, I bet, ten times during the year I have CPW officers that come to my office and get a recorded statement from my clients while I'm there, and we talk about things. And I, I, I run the the discussion. And there are times where I say, "Yeah, my client won't talk about that," or they'll talk about this, but not that. And we kind of have a game plan with it. And they're they're very cordial con- conversations. And you know, it's that's part of what they do too. And so we can, if people think, "Well, how how does it work if if I don't say anything?" Well, that's how it works. You're you're in a different environment. You're not in the field, <laughs> and we're able to talk about it and. And have a conversation. Yeah. 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 Well, Chris, I that's tell not you. why you're here. That's not yeah, why you're here yeah. calling. <laughs> we'll talk about you, know, you, you have no idea where I'm sitting right now. Maybe this is my one phone call. Yeah, you know? yeah. This, yeah. Is the, this is the one. Make I sure to, I'll get you Kevin's cell phone. Yeah. I'll text it to you. Yeah. It was, it was strategic. It was strategic. Right. Make sure Charlie has gotten us yeah, your contact information so that we can recall you at whatever jail you're sitting in. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, we met Chris several several years ago uh, here at the International Sportsman's Expo, and just a great guy, super knowledgeable, and has been a great friend of our show. Got the privilege to go out and hunt with him a little bit uh, this year. Uh, we did a turkey hunt. Another friend of mine and I, Ron, from, and he lives in Kansas, actually, and had a great hunt with Chris, and uh, looking forward to hopefully doing that again um, for next turkey season as well. But, Chris, I tell you, man, we could talk the rest of the time just – crazy times we are in and it has affected our hunting world hasn't it oh yeah yeah there's no doubt about it no doubt about it uh, it looks like your hunt has gone okay so far yeah i was able to grab me a bear last week so yeah that was cool that was a lot of fun over in meeker and everything and so uh but you know a lot of outfitters are getting cancellations and um different things because you know some people just can't travel or their job situation changed they can't do the hunt anymore so that, and that hurts everybody Correct, correct, and I feel and my heart goes out to some of those people I know. So I'm I'm sitting down here in Arizona, and um, I had a client this year, and I just you know some of these people are I hear of you know you you draw a premium unit and it is the same thing in Colorado. Maybe you drew a unit two two hundred one ten tag, and you know life circumstances come at you, and and you just can't do the hunt. You got to turn that tag in, and it's just like goodness gracious. You know, and mm-hmm. it's just, man, 2020, 2020 is, a, is an interesting animal just given the fact that it just seems like when one, one you get hit with one direction and then you, here comes another hit and then here comes another hit. And so we're, we're down, like I said, I'm down here in Arizona and, you know, of the, of the people that drew their tags, these premium tags, and they're just finally like, you know what, get, get, let me just get out into the woods and let me just have a good elk hunt. Our weather is horrible. It's oh. just completely dead. The, the uh, it, we've got bluebird skies, single digit wind speeds, high pressure system over it. We've got drought situation where the animals are kind of in a suppressed body condition. I mean, you can't buy a bugle down here. All the active, most of the activity is at night at water, and I mean, people are are 
have this premium tag, and literally we are dealing with probably one of the worst hunting seasons as far as elk activity that I can ever remember anywhere. Wow. It's it's crazy. So people are just, you know, you see people just wandering around going, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> right. It's just like, God, man, I feel bad for you. I feel for you. And how so, does this weather uh, do with the rut and all? I mean, what's all the different, you know, because a lot of times they'll say, oh, the rut was this time this year, so then, you know, I'm going to book yeah. that week next year, and you just never know. Correct. And, you know, Colorado's going to be completely different than Wyoming or Montana. and You know, so down here, they've been in a brutal drought like a lot of other folks have because they re- they are dependent upon that monsoon moisture flow, and we just haven't had it. It yeah. just hasn't existed this summer. So the forage quality is absolutely abysmal. If if grass did grow, it's just short. It's already burned up, and it's brown, and it's, it's just dead. In most places, very little of it grew. And in some places, you have cattle on the landscape, so that's taken even more off. And so in those situations, there's only one. I talk about this on the website. Um, that I have a series about rethinking the rut. What actually causes the rut and estrus cycling? There's only one real thing that's going to delay a cow coming into estrus, and that is poor body condition. She needs to achieve about about a 9% body fat before she can cycle into estrus. Um, and if the forage, and if she's got a calf at her side that she's been nursing all summer, uh, and she just has poor forage quality, poor water you know, resources, her body is going to be absolutely suppressed, and she's most likely not going to cycle on time. Huh. And so if she's not going to cycle in on time and everything is going to cycle late, well, the bulls are just, I mean, the bulls might be ready to go, but even then, you know, if you have you know, weather systems coming through that suppress their activity, everything just kind of gets put on hold and it just kind of in this lingering, you know, limbo state until maybe some of these cows finally start cycling in. And so and until that happens, uh, you just got to get out there and, and, you know, really, really be smart about you, about how you hunt, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and critically looking at all the resources out there and figuring out where do I need to be in order to just really dredge up an animal that I can at least try to make a play for. So it's tough. It's tough. So are you hearing any bugling where you are now in Arizona? Well, so the season started on September 11th. Uh, The evening of September 10th, I had a little basin that we had three bulls in, they were just starting to bugle. The cows were talking. I, it was. It looked like high hopes that we were we were going to have a good season. And uh, the next morning, because they were talking, and apparently they were the only bulls talking, everybody, their brother's uncle, descended on that little basin, and oh, everything shut up. We had new weather system move in, real high pressure system move in, and it shut things down. And it is not. You might find a little squeal here and there, but I'm telling you, you can't. You can't buy an elk right now. We finally, we, we hunted hard. My client just left this morning. Uh, we hunted hard all week. Finally resulted to sitting water these last couple of days. And last night, he's brand, brand spanking new elk hunter. Uh, we literally spent the first three days, you know, getting his archery equipment. Uh, that's another discussion. He, he got set up at a big box store and was really 
he he was set up for failure. The guy that was working the counter essentially wanted to make a sale and kick him down the road. My client, you know, the new hunter, he didn't know any better. He didn't know what he didn't know. Sure. And so he showed up in camp, and I was like, "Oh my!" <laughs> so we we got him we got him squared away. He went from being able to shoot a pie plate, a full size pie, uh, you know, a paper plate at twenty yards, to being able to shoot effectively at 40 yards. But here we are the last night of the hunt. We finally get a nice five by five, uh, to come in, but the animal was on pins and needles and excitement got the better of the situation, all things considered. And he shot, made a clean miss, but it was a very fun hunt, very educational hunt. He was very, very happy because he was able to just capitalize on or, or expand on all the stuff he had learned through the website uh, and got to see everything in action. I just, for me, it was just disappointing that we didn't get to play the game, you know, the calling and the working, the setups, and you know, like like I normally like to do. Sure. But it's just not us. It, it, it's just the entire region. I've had friends in multiple units around. You know, I'm so I'm sitting just outside of Flagstaff right now, and everything around me is just dead. Just it doesn't matter the unit, doesn't matter the elevation, doesn't matter where you are. It's it's just a struggle fest down here right now. So hopefully it'll turn around for the last half of the season for folks. All right. Chris Rowe is our guest, Rowe Hunting Resources. Check out that website. And, Chris, just take a minute and uh, let's give a little commercial for what you've got going on and what's on your website. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, no, it's, just, it's, it's a highly edu- – it's, it's all education. So if you want to shorten your learning curve on how to set up an, and for elk and, and using calls – understanding behavior, understanding the vocalizations, understanding what to do, when to do it, and the most important question of why to do it. That's what that website is, R-O-E, huntingresources.com. You can sign up for the, the uh, educational modules. The ELP one is what we're dealing with right now. Um, I can guarantee you it will absolutely shorten your learning curve. There's 50-plus hours of video and audio-based uh, educational material, and the big one is – there's extensive video in there putting elk in front of you so you can see the elk actually doing what we're talking about. You get to see their, you know, who's, who's vocalizing, what are they saying, who's responding, how are they responding, and then how do we put it in play. So, yeah, if, you, if, if you're out there struggling right now, there is time. Jump on there. You can get the cheap, you know, three-month version. I think it's like 25 bucks or something like that. You can go through there. There's some real uh, focused discussions it'll definitely help you out in the remainder of September if you're still out there trying to figure out where these animals are and how to get in front of one or get one in front of you and put it on the ground. Sure. So, Chris, what, I mean, what are some of your tactics when you run into something like this? I mean, do you just try to keep moving and just going to different areas and, and throwing out some calls, or do you try to get to high places and just glass? What do you, what's kind of your uh, well, tactic right now? The, the, first, the very first and foremost thing, that, and, and I know – even Colorado is, is extremely diverse. If you are in a dry, droughty environment, you have to figure out where the water is. Just because there's a it, on the on X or on the map or whatever shows a creek drainage does not mean that there's water flowing in it. Yeah. You have to verify. Is there is there water there? Yes or no? If there is, okay, next move. How does the forage look? What's the forage quality? Is there good food there, or is it just absolutely burned up to nothing? Elk will move on the landscape and try to find better food. 
However, they're, they're going to move within their home range and where they want to occupy. So if there's at least some good food around, and you, especially if you're out there and you're, you go, man, it seems like I'm getting fresh tracks. It seems like there's fresh droppings. You're absolutely right. At that point, if you're in an environment that allows you to sit behind glass up on a point where you can just sit and watch, absolutely. I think it's a great idea to do that. After that, I'm going to so I'm gonna look for where the water is. I'm going to look for where the potential food is. But, man, sanctuary is key, because, especially on these over-the-counter units or at least even, even a, a draw unit that just gets heavy pressure. Sanctuaries, where are these animals able to go where they can get away from disturbance and human pressure? Sometimes, you know, we all talk about, you know, everybody talks about, you know, get a mile off the road or get back in there and go for it. These day and age, sometimes there's more crowding in the backcountry than there might be a quarter mile from a paved road. Right. So think you need to start thinking outside the box and go, okay, wait a minute. Where are people not going? It doesn't mean that I have to go farther back in. Maybe, just maybe, you're hiking past elk to go find elk. So really evaluate the landscape. Where's the water? Where's the food? And where is sanctuary? If you have been hunting in your normal area and you are not finding animals, stop doing the, it's, what is it, the definition of insanity. Yeah. Doing the same thing over <laughs> and over again and expecting a different result. Right. Go look somewhere else. Change it up. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't get yourself pigeonholed. Now, for those that are going to be at a, a drop camp or a you know a, a guided hunter back, okay, you're you're going to be stuck with us in a kind of a, a static you know situation. At that point, yeah, get out well before daylight, stay out well after sundown, and stay out at night and see if you don't hear something talking in the dark. And then sometimes you might have to pull an all-nighter or, or get up at 3 a.m., get on, you know, up on the mountain, listen to them talk, and literally try to shadow them back to where they're going to bed. They may be in their bed, and they may be silent by daybreak, but at least you were out there and you knew where they were going. Now you know what side of the mountain. You know what bench they might be on. Then you can really slow it down, and you might have to just say, you know what, I'm going to park myself here all day, make sure the wind is good, and I might just have to really play the slow game and let things unfold rather than just run and gun and try to make things happen and, and look for a hot bowl. It, it, may not, it may not happen. So if the elk are there, slow down, tease it out, don't feel like you're getting in a rush because sometimes moving too much too fast can screw you. But if you're not seeing sign, if you're not seeing sign, you, need to, you just you got to go somewhere else and, and, and think outside the box on where that sanctuary might just be. Absolutely. Again, Chris Rowe is our guest, rowhuntingresources.com. Check that out, and I promise you, as Chris said, man, you will save yourself a lifetime of aggravation. Get his videos, <laughs> watch them, and he has put his heart and soul into these. And, and as I mentioned, uh, we hunted this turkey, and just watching him, you know, go through his calling process and, and knowing the habitat, knowing animals' behavior, all the things like that. I'm telling you, for those of us that really don't have time to go out and do a lot of scouting in an area, this will be a goldmine for you at rowhuntingresources.com. So, Chris, do you have any hunts available, anything come up where if somebody wants to come out and hunt with you any this year, uh, anything open? Um, I actually do have a couple open slots for our deer hunts if they want. However, they, they must have already drawn a non-resident deer tag for. Uh, now, my primary area is Unit 3. 
However, Kansas has a unique little deal to where you, you can choose your primary area, and that's what you draw your tag on, and then you can choose a secondary area that in, in order to hunt. And that secondary area has to be immediately adjacent, touching uh, the, your primary area. However, <laughs> you are allowed to change your secondary area. So hmm. if you drew a tag in any unit around unit three, and you didn't, even if you don't have unit three listed as your primary tag or a secondary tag, you can call the fishing game out there and you can say, hey, I want to change my secondary unit to unit three. They will change it. Bingo, you're able to come hunt with us. So um, we've got some rifle slots available. And we have some later November and late season December hunts available, uh, which can be out, you know, out at our place, Scott. You know, we manage it pretty, no, pretty well to where absolutely. every week our hunts can be great. So, absolutely. If someone has a tag for Northwest Colorado that touches you to three and, and you're just not finding the quality deer or you're worried about the walk-in access that you're planning on hunting because it's been so dry and the crops, I mean, the, the crop, the, the drought is just hammered our crops up there this year so if you're planning on hunting walk-in access um i strongly or or public ground i strongly recommend you get out there now to see exactly what that agriculture looks like because we might have a situation where farmers are not going to plant winter wheat because there just is no moisture period so make sure before you go all in on taking a week off in November, you get out there now to find out is it going to be good or not. So that is great our advice. Food, man. Our, food, yeah, our food plots are doing well, and I've got more to plant when we get back. But uh, just pray for rain, brother. I it's know it, it's super dry here too, and of course all this burn area will produce some good uh, good hunting here in a few years probably. But you yeah. know, it is smoky here like crazy, bud. Well, Chris, hey, man, yeah. I appreciate you coming on today, kind of last minute, but uh, we'll try to get you back on and uh, kind of do this a little more often, bud. Sounds good, my friend. You guys be safe. All right. That's Chris Rowe, Rowe Hunting Resources. Check that out. I'm telling you, buy his elk modules. It will make everything so much better for you, and you'll get to understanding a lot more of what Chris is talking about. He's so entertaining, too. And I mean, No, I mean, he's an incredible speaker. Right. Yeah. And and he just knows his stuff. I mean, you can hear even hear on his frustration from this first first hunt he's going to the second half of the season obviously he's going to try some different things and yeah and uh but you're going to learn so much from except we were sitting in a blind turkey hunting and i'd already shot my turkey and ron was shooting it and it, I'd, we'd gotten up early and i was nodding and yeah. you know you just have that feeling like somebody's looking at you yeah i look up he's got his phone videoing me <laughs> head bobbing in there and i'm like <laughs> still a good time you're gonna learn stuff and have a yeah, good time yeah, yeah. hey i want to say something real real quick you know i had a knee replacement uh june 15th and uh i just want to give a public shout out to my wife for all she put <laughs> helped me through that knee replacement i'm telling you in 14 weeks um man got to do a bear hunt last uh, you know last week and got to golf a little bit on friday and man she ran me to appointments all kinds of stuff to help me get back healthy so victoria Thank you very much. I love you, and just thank you for all you've done to help support uh, this. And, Kevin, I tell you, I thought of this show in, I think, November of 2012, and we had our first show January of 13. Yep. And, man, seems like all that time. And, 
my website, everything yeah, is Victoria. Yeah, she helps out so much <laughs> yeah. behind the Our scenes. Our booth uh, at organizing ISC, us, organizing <laughs> us, everything. So yes, keeping the yeah, booth clean, so all absolutely. of that stuff. Well, listen, I hope everyone has a great rest of your weekend. Enjoy it. And reminder now, if you miss our live show on Saturdays from 1 to 2, you can catch us twice on Sundays from 8 to 9 a.m. or 7 to 8 p.m. Again, our show today is brought to you by Flesh and Beck Law, 303-806-8886. Have a great rest of your weekend, and good luck out in the field. expressed on KLC 560 are those of the speaker, commentators, hosts, their guests, and callers. They are not necessarily the views and opinions of Crawford Broadcasting or KLZ Management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.